Howdy. Welcome to another week of Canon Calls. I am your host, Jake McAtee. And this week, Christmas week, we celebrate with having the guest of the year, Dr. Rod Story, in to talk about the COVID-19 vaccine. So it's his birthday today on Tuesday. And if you have any kinds of social media uh, and you can hunt him down, please go tell him happy birthday and thank him for all the episodes he did with us this year about Corona and how helpful he's been. Without further ado, meet once more Dr. Rod Story. Now welcoming on recurring guest, the doctor of Canon Calls, guest of 2020, I think. Uh, <laughs> and it's your birthday. So happy birthday. Ah, uh, that's tomorrow, my friend, but you're close. Okay. Well, tomorrow's when it comes out. Yes. So today. Even better. <laughs> and Merry Christmas, by the way. And Thank you. Of course, of course. I thought it was a good time to have you on as all over the news, we have news about the vaccine, the two vaccines that have been cleared to go. And I'm seeing a lot of takes online one way or the other. I think, I think it was TGC and that may be too easy, but somebody out there said some of the effect of, you know, as, as the Jews rejected their Messiah, so a lot of these Republican Christians reject the vaccine. There's things like that. And then we see, you know, like some really, you know, going all in on this video of a, of a, of a woman passing out, like, is it the vaccine, you know, mm. so all these suspicions. So you know, there's a ton going on and I thought maybe you could come in and help clear some stuff up for us. So welcome on. Thanks for coming. Thank you. I, I was actually trying to figure out how many times we've talked about COVID this year. Um, I think this is the fifth. It is the fifth. And that's amazing to think about. This has truly been a topic, a, a something forefront that's consuming us and, and consuming our thoughts and our energy, our time, our efforts. Um, boy, if 2020 was anything, it's, it seems to now be spilling into 2021, doesn't it? Right, right. What I think it does more than anything is touch on what we believe and who we are. Uh, and so COVID just falls in the midst of that. And I think that that's probably the best thing we should do is do a gut check of why have we approached it this way? And then, you know, here's an, just another practical application. How does vaccinating or the, how do we see the vaccine? Where does that, where does that fit in our belief and what do we do going forward? So... Dr. Story, if someone comes into your practice this next week and says, Dr. Story, should I get the vaccine? What would you tell them? Well, uh, let me answer that a little bit in a roundabout fashion. <laughs> it's not without a little bit of awareness and maybe trepidation that, I, that I'm willing to kind of have this conversation. And I would say that that's the case generally for physicians who are willing to have conversations that aren't fitting the, the narrative. This is a hard time to, to stand out and say, hey, whoa, hey, how about a little bit more conversation, a little bit uh, of caution, because that's looked at so bluntly as, oh, you're one of those. Um, <laughs> and whether, you know, and, and right. now I have a little bit of a history of being willing to tackle some, some ethical challenges that are really growing in our culture and apply to medical world. And, and I've gained a number of labels behind my name that are more than just the initials. <laughs> One of them is bigot, and that yeah. came from addressing transgender and just being willing to say, hey, why are we so whole hog into this as a medical culture? Where does the science, but also where's our deep ethic on this? I've seen that in addressing some of the uh, growing interest in physician-assisted suicide. 
And now we're surrounded by states that have said that. And, and just that, whoa, hey, that doesn't really fit medicine. And we have this Hippocratic oath. And suddenly you're one of those, or you're one of those uh, <laughs> docs who's, who's, uh, who won't do uh, birth control because you're so pro-life uh, that your brain fell out. How about a conversation? And I think that applies as well to the vaccine world. So at, a, at, a, at the risk of being called the anti-vax doc, which I am not, um, I'm very much uh, think that vaccines are, are wise, that they're part of good care. They've got a good track record. They're, they're actually fitting towards a, what I think is a God-honoring view of our world, of how our bodies work, of how illness happens and how we actually might address it. Uh, I'm going to take a stab at this one. Okay. For the person that asked you, what questions are you going to want to ask them? Or, or even like with, with what you know about the vaccine, what do you want to talk about? It, it, is, it doesn't Absolutely. seem like it's a green light for you or a red light. Well, so first off, I'd tell you the vaccine question is a good one. And I want to encourage people, ask, be well-informed, get good sources. Probably uh, the Facebook mom chats are, are maybe not the best way to get good information, Comment although threads. Boy, it sure raises good questions that I think you should bring to your physician. And hopefully, like my office, your physician will be open to those conversations. And maybe that's where I get painted with, a, with an anti-vax doc uh, label. Really, I'm, I want to encourage people, ask questions and be well-informed. Um, I also want to encourage you to take responsibility. Don't just say, well, I read something somewhere on the internet. I guess I won't. That's a decision. And particularly you fathers out there, I want to encourage you, lead your families in this. Be well-informed. Go to the physician visits. Don't just send your wife. Make sure that you're leading your family wisely and thoughtfully thinking this through. Let me also, before I answer that question, I feel like I'm putting teasers out there. <laughs> really answer that in, in what I'm seeing in our community. And I think that that's generally uh, been the case for, for how we digest this. It really comes down to, first off, what you believe about the world and, and how you see COVID fitting into that. If you are, like a lot of the physicians in our community, really seeing COVID as must stop at all costs, most of the physicians in my community have, have truly been hiding in their homes um, avoiding any public exposures, including family, including churches, including social engagements, going to their workplace, um, wearing PPE or that personal protective gear every moment of every day, and then going home. If you have been uh, in that frame of mind, then you see this vaccination is, is perhaps the only hope moving forward. Yeah. And I've, I've, that's what I'm, I'm seeing. I, yep. All of my colleagues are on, on Facebook showing pictures of getting the shot. Uh, they're being cheered on as heroes. Um, they're, they're saying, boy, this is, might be the beginning of the end, but, but we'll have to take a wait and see posture. You know, if, if you're of that mindset, and, and I think that there's some reason to consider that, then you are triumphant at this moment. Like this is science at its very best. Science has, has created in a very rapid fashion, a vaccine faster than we've ever had a vaccine almost in real time with a, with a pandemic that we're trying everything possible to hold at bay. Yes, it, it has a bit of a triumphantness. And, and I would agree. I, I think that as a physician, uh, where I know that vaccine, the way we give vaccines, the way we make vaccines is to find a way to let someone's immune system see something long before the actual illness comes along, all with the goal of either reducing transmission uh, from one person to the next and hopefully not to that person at risk or preventing that at-risk person from having to experience the illness. 
then just about any vaccine is a worthwhile consideration. So we have two vaccines that I think have been cleared to go, the Pfizer, and then what's the other one? Yeah, they're Moderna. Are you suspicious on the surface? Are you optimistic? Where do you fall on that, on the spectrum of reactions? So uh, also at the risk of offending some of my, from my brothers and sisters in Christ who, who are very, very hesitant about this, here's what I would say. I think by and large, this vaccine is going to turn out to be a good vaccine, reasonable for people to get. However, and, and again, this is where I think the conversation comes down. It needs to be individualized to who gets it and why. If you are at very high risk, if you're an elderly person, if you um, have significant health issues, COVID is a bad thing for you. And we're, you know, we've seen 300,000 deaths, and those have been almost entirely in that age bracket and with those health issues. Then even though this vaccine has been expedited, gotten out in record time, really hasn't been fully put to paces through all the testing, what we know is, is it likely is still going to be a lot better to get the vaccine than it is to get the illness. Fair enough. Um, and I think that that's the case with, with most of these vaccines. Need to look at what is the actual risk of me getting it. Now, if we're talking about the second goal of vaccination, which is to reduce the spread of the vax of the illness, well, now you're talking about millions of people that have to receive that. Many, many millions. And we have, I just looked up the number today, 324 million people in the United States. That's a lot of vaccination. When you vaccinate to that level, you're going to find that there are some untoward effects. Things that you didn't want to have happen on the individual level that will have lasting consequences. And that's just like, by definition, vaccines. That's like, what vaccines yeah. do. So w w let's talk a little bit about this vaccine and, and maybe it can expand more to that. Vaccination is getting a bit of what of the illness before it gets to you. This vaccine, it actually uh, tries to take a page from the virus of how it looks to your cell, how it looks to your immune system. And it actually uses what's called messenger RNA to teach your body how to mimic that. And then the goal is for uh, your body to form antibodies, all of that without actually experiencing the illness. Here's what's interesting. And people are, uh, my good friends of mine are putting it on social media, the concern that they're seeing a significant amount of side effects. Uh, actually, it's being reported probably 1% to 2% of people are, are actually having to uh, take time off work because they're sick, wow. sick when they get the vaccine. Yep. But they're not sick with the virus. They're actually sick from their immune system. That's what happens. So in almost every illness, including viral, most of what we experience as the illness is actually our own immune system responding. Okay. So sometimes our immune system is triggered so aggressively that our immune system actually kind of causes a, well, it's a bit like, like our policy in Vietnam, napalm the woods to try and get everybody out. And you can't have help but have some collateral damage. Right. Part of that experience of people getting vaccination is their immune system waking up. And I usually tell people, you know, if you, when you get the vaccine, your body's going to respond. You want it to. That's the goal. The problem is some people's immune systems respond so aggressively, it makes them sick. Some of those people, and, and this is a small number overall, but it's meaningful. Real people experience lasting side effects and consequences of immunization. There's where I think we need to pause. So, so my colleagues in, in medicine would often just say, ah, oh, you know, let's not talk about that or, oh, that's such a less meaningful consideration. No, this is real. And it's real in ways that, that we know actually impact whether people will take the vaccination or not or whether companies will actually produce it. It's one of the concerns, honestly. Uh, we've, we've, through law, made a way that the companies that are making these vaccines 
are not going to be held liable for those side effects or for things that are happen against them. We have actually a, a very large pot of money in the United States that's set aside for vaccine-related injury because we know it happens. Right. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about it in a real way. As physicians, I usually see, oh, no, no, that doesn't really happen. And uh, just take the vaccine, would you? There's something that I've heard you say before that I thought was really good in, in regards to this discussion where there seems to have been a flip where um, I think it was the previous episode that you talked about um, things such as uh, herd immunity. And you were very clear that that, that that clearly has some, there's some costs there. There's a trade-off there, uh, but something valuable. And then there's going to be, I, I, as I hear you saying, there's going to be trade-offs with this vaccine. And what you're hearing from the other side is like, not necessarily even an acknowledgement of risk, but just, you know, you got to do it. All of a sudden, it seems like they haven't kept the same sort of, um, whether it's skepticism or just like, this is not allowed, that sort of risk is not allowed. I don't know. Do you see that? I, I do. You know, and I think that that's, that's the interesting challenge is if as a physician or medical professional, you, you raise these concerns, you get labeled as vaccine averse or vaccine hesitant. How about just vaccine frank? Let's, let's, let's speak wisely and yeah. truthfully and honestly. And, and again, I would say that by and large, vaccination is, is actually wisdom. It's, it's based on a, on a consistent, knowable, understandable universe that's glorious. And I think God honoring to investigate because that's the God we serve who it, it, it mirrors his, his personality and it mirrors what, who he is. So that's really good. And I think you've, you've helped us, you've given us some principles over time, this, over this year of, as we look at all of the reports and everything's flying and social media is doing what it does. One of the principles that I think you've really helped me with is that medicine is not law. And I think in the rhetoric of either, you know, of either side or, and especially it's seeming like, especially the media side is that this is law, go get it. But as you're saying, that's just not really how medicine works. Can you expand on that a little bit more? Sure. I, I, medicine is, is science applied. And it's a way of kind of looking or giving our best guess. You know, if, if we're honest about the way that we see the universe, we know that as physicians, as medical professionals, as scientists, that we, we are limited. We're limited in, in our understanding. We're limited by time. We're limited by uh, our ability to fully ask the right question. And that's the experience that, uh, as a physician, I find invigorating, but I also think many people find rather frustrating, like, wait a sec, do I get to eat eggs this, this decade, or are you going to take my eggs away? Is it good for my cholesterol or bad? Well, Zero uh, points on Weight Watchers now. Yeah. Ah, well, <laughs> uh, yes, Weight Watchers, so my this friend. Decade, this decade, it's uh, Keep on task, <laughs> would you? Uh, we'll, we'll deal with dieting on January 1st. Okay. Sounds good. Um, and that's the reality. But it is also the challenge. We, we don't know fully with this vaccination what are going to be some of the long-term concerns about using a messenger RNA vaccine. I've actually weighed this, out, this thought out, and, and I think some people wisely pointed out that this protein that uh, using the messenger RNA vaccine will provoke has some similarities to proteins that are found in other parts of our body particularly uh, proteins that are in tissues or fertility. The placenta shares some unique proteins that could have some cross-reactivity. Not good. Well, no, not good. And taking a vaccine could provoke some long-term antibodies to that. I think that's a question worth asking. And, and because we've expedited the process for this vaccine, we don't fully know. We haven't done all of the usual precautions. But even then, oftentimes we don't know. 
But I would tell you that if you follow that logic, having COVID should produce some of the same proteins and should provoke some of the same cross-reactivity. I think that's of interest, and we won't know fully what consequences COVID has for cross-reactivity and antibodies that could influence people's lives in other ways. We know that that has some short-term effects to people's nerves and people's hearts, and, and some people do poorly with COVID because of that long after the illness is long gone. But that's the case for all viruses, and it's, it's one of the wonderful and awful circumstances of our world. So what are, what are some things as a physician that you would have wanted to see with this particular vaccine and its rollout that would make you less suspicious? The vaccine and, and the way it's rolled out, I, I think that the efforts have been generally good. And I don't, I don't see conspiracy everywhere. I think that this could be a fantastic and wonderfully elegant way to make vaccines. And it may be the way that we make them in the future. I'm also glad to know that these two main ones that have come out are not embryonic stem cell based, although they're farming out some of the production to other companies that might be using them. So it's a very challenging time to walk faithfully. I think that where I would like to see us go is first off by recognizing and talking openly that, hey, vaccines do have some unintended consequences. And second, being willing to to honor people and say, hey, we, we know that you have questions. Let's, let's talk them through rather than, than paint people who are hesitant as, as anti-science knuckleheads. Because for the very reason that you're saying, this is not law. And like people, yeah, organisms I, are their own, like our organisms and, and how, these, how this science applies to this. Things seem up in the air and open in a way that questions almost seem. To my medical colleagues, I, I would say this. We, we took an oath, and that oath was first, do no harm. We live in a world where honesty about unintended consequences is worth having. But secondly, also that we, we need to own them when that occurs and not, not be science deniers ourselves. And then third, that, that really it's, it's a matter of, of respect. Do no harm uh, really means that we have done due diligence and that we have not um, rush something out that might have more harm than good. And that we have a history in medicine of doing that. I don't think that this has been rushed out too quickly, but I think we better be diligent to be watching carefully. So you've mentioned uh, so far that you think for folks who, since coronavirus is a bad deal for folks, mm -hmm. certain folks, certain bracket of folks, this vaccine uh, might be a good idea for them. Let me, let me be plain. If you're at high risk, um, if you're elderly, if your years of life um, versus benefit from avoiding COVID balance tips towards avoiding COVID, I think a vaccination is a way of avoiding it and treating yourself to prevent that. For all others, um, I think that the, there's a, a, it is reasonable and good to ask questions and to be cautious and uh, not to rush into this. Let me segue a little bit. I think I would like to pose five questions, yeah, five perfect. questions for my medical colleagues, five questions that I think really we need to do a gut check on okay. that will be revealing to what we believe. And again, I spoke earlier that, you know, I'm surrounded by colleagues that have been hiding. My experience is incredibly different. We, we, and through our practice, we, we looked at the information early. We said, wow, uh, this is bad for certain people. Let's work to take care of them. For the rest, um, I think you need to individualize that. But it looks like based on the data that you're way more likely to survive and, and fully recover from COVID than ever have trouble. 
and you know, by and large, we're in a community of, of uh, churches and schools that have done just that. And through our clinic, we've seen, oh, dozens and dozens of cases that have been confirmed, but many more, hundreds and hundreds of cases of people who have done that, who've had COVID confirmed or strongly suspected because they live in the same house, who have made that recovery and who have not had those long-lasting concerns and now are able to move forward. Right. And I live in a community where we have this fear of people dying of it, and yet we've had only three, which is amazing. Our particular yeah, community. Yeah, three, three people have died in our community and all elderly with significant health issues. Boy, I, I don't want anyone to be lost. Let's, let's be clear. Uh, I'm in the business of, of trying to, to uh, prevent people from dying, but I'm so thankful that we've had so few, and I think we're losing that thankfulness or that awareness. Uh, the same across our border, we've, you know, we've had probably tens of thousands of cases in our communities now, confirmed and suspected, and those people have made full recoveries, and I'm, I'm thankful. That needs to be taken into account. Well, you said you had five questions? Yeah, five questions. First, I would say is, what do we do about these people now that have survived COVID? Yep. We have a lot of data that shows these people have strong immunity. So what do we do? We have this vaccine that's coming out, and there's a huge push for vaccination, but there's no discussion on what to do with people that are naturally immune to this illness. This is a bizarre thing to me, because the reality is that we have a vaccine that we're using with the whole goal of mimicking natural immunity. Yep. We actually don't even know that that vaccine will give us lasting or long-term immunity that would be beneficial. There's a lot of like, well, you get the vaccine, but we're not sure you'll ever take the mask off. Like, okay, that, that's worth considering, but that wasn't the goal. Uh, we also don't know if natural immunity is so much better than vaccinated immunity. And we, we know that from other illnesses, but, but it meets somewhere in the middle. It could be actually that natural immunity is less beneficial than this vaccine. This vaccine is a unique way of triggering immune reactions that might be more powerful and lasting. But again, back to the question, what do we do with these people? We have 16 million confirmed cases. 16 million. That is a crazy number of people in the United States. And if we know from looking at the numbers, that underrepresents the total number of people that have say, been sick. Could be, be 10, yeah. could be 20. Uh, <laughs> some data shows that. That is, well, even a conservative measure of 10 times 16 million is 160 million. That is uh, a full one third of the United States wow. has been exposed to this. Right. That's pretty amazing to think about. Right. Um, those people, uh, are we going to test all of them? Are we going to, or are we going to treat them as second class citizens? Are we going to say, as we have kind of indicated through our culture that, nope, too bad if you've had COVID-19 and you've recovered, you still need to wear the mask. Right. We've, we've chosen as a society to, to take a very different approach. And I would say medical professionals, let's talk frankly about natural immunity and let's start treating those individuals like we're hoping to treat people who are vaccinated. Awesome. Okay. Second question I have for my, for my colleagues, will we make this vaccine mandatory? I think that's a really important question to ask. You know, um, mandatory is not something that we've done in medicine. Uh, and, but there is a growing ethic that people are stupid if they don't get it and that we need to overcome them. We've done this with masks now, and there's a coming mandatory nationwide mask mandate. How will we get out of that? Well, I only see that we're setting up a stage for mandatory vaccination. And we've already had states move that way for childhood vaccinations where they've refused to allow kids to go to school if their parents have been hesitant. 
or decided to do vaccines in a way that they, after some careful and thoughtful approaches, wanted to do it. We've seen a really heavy-handed approach. And I'm concerned that's, that's not someplace we've gone in medicine. How can it be that we choose to go mandatory or to support as mandatory something that for the vast majority of people is an incredibly low-risk situation? And let's be honest. Again, look at the data. We have many, many millions of patients who have uh, had and recovered from COVID wor- worldwide. Uh, we know the, the uh, likelihood of dying of it if you're less than age 60 is less than 99.9%. That's an amazing circumstance. So I think to justify that next step either means that you have a significant belief that you think triumphs others. Right. That's a dangerous precedent in medicine. Given what we know about medicine, again, which is that it's not law. Or, you it's know, not it's, law, it's, and, and it has pitfalls that we don't always foresee. And, and that's part of good medicine is being is proper conversations about, well, as we say, it, risk benefits, indications, alternatives, yep. um, authorized consent. We do that for surgery. We do that for just about any medicine. Why would we not extend that same consideration of people's autonomy when it comes to vaccination? Question three. All right, here we are, 11 months into a two-week uh, <laughs> attempt to flatten the curve. Yeah. Uh, it, it has some humorous benefits, and I hope people take it that way in some ways, because we, we keep changing the goalposts, and we keep changing our perspective on what the goal of this COVID. But I do think, again, the question needs to be asked, and I think it needs to be asked to my colleagues, what is the cost of this mass masking shutdown because the shutdown has happened almost entirely at the behest of medical professionals whether the surgeon general or whether the uh, head of the NIH uh, Dr Fauci or or others it's it's been pushed by physicians uh, physicians who have said we must at all costs avoid christmas and stop thanksgiving but let's again keep talking about some of the consequences so there's about 500,000 uh, small businesses that are now out of business that's mom and pop that's yep families, that's generations of lost investment and income, that's immigrants working, that's, that's, that's the American dream. Not Amazon. <laughs> not Amazon, yeah. not Walmart. I mean, those companies yeah. are doing well and, the, yeah. and they're well posed to be uh, a faceless um, exchange of goods. But we have, we have chosen to um, hurt our neighbors in ways that will have lasting generational effects. We have had more overdoses than we have in the entire history of recording this year. I think it was 80,000 that I read successful suicidal overdoses in medication. Now, those are lost lives. Um, and that's a smaller portion of people when you compare to uh, the 300,000 that have died of COVID. But if we honestly look at the alcoholism and depression and, and uh, significant uh, mental health that is growing out of this, we are not counting the costs of those things. And let's be honest, uh, that, is, that has been a physician-directed thing t- for us to shut down and to do that at all costs. At all costs is, is a painful cost that doesn't take into account more than just a case fatality rate. Right. And I, and I think that, now, that kind of begs the fourth question. If this is how we have approached this viral pandemic, and we face viral pandemics routinely in human history, what will be our approach to the next one? Yeah, it I makes mean, me nervous. <laughs> it, it should. I mean, uh, the, the reality is we now have developed a, and we have encouraged our, our citizens in our country to, to view illness as to be avoided at all costs. 
But we've done things that actually still aren't working well, including masking and social mandates and hiding at home and, and uh, closing schools, uh, none of which have actually stopped this illness. I, I would argue actually have prolonged it and maybe even caused more fatality in the long run. But that's a subject maybe for another day. <laughs> but, uh, but I would say, we, we, what is our threshold? What is our acceptable number of people that we might potentially lose with each? Because, you know, it, it, we keep getting hammered for comparing this to influenza. But every year we do experience influenza. And oftentimes the, the fatality is anywhere between 80,000 to 250,000 in a given year. Well, that's really very similar. Just shy. Uh, just yeah. shy of COVID. That's on a yearly basis, uh, and those are just the most obvious viruses. We've got plenty of others that circulate. In my uh, 20 years as a physician, we've had, this is now the third major pandemic that I would mark as a, one that has come across the, the media's eye that we've named and treated like uh, it was a bad cousin we didn't want at Christmas. Um, we must ask the question, what, what did we do here? And what is our threshold going to be for the future? Because this is major what we've done, right. not just in uh, the, the amount of money spent or the, or the time invested, but in, in the challenges to people's lives and the way we live. Yeah, it's, it's almost one of those, uh, I, I almost want to not ask questions. I don't want the answer to uh, in terms of the devastating, you know, the amount of money and Yes, and, 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 and you know, when we're just about to all get, well, some of us, a $600 check, uh, and that is bankrupting our system. We have um, uh, medical facilities and clinics and hospitals that are about 30% down in their income. We're going to be seeing a dramatic calling of people on their debts in the next year, uh, whether that's uh, debts for retail and, and, uh, and the rentals that they have, closing of businesses, but also debts that the hospitals are having that are going to, in my estimation, really accelerate a wholesale change in American medicine, the way we practice. The government will be happy to come in and step in and print some money and, and buy those hospitals and clinics, but it will be a dramatic change in, in how we receive care. Last one. All right. Number five. And this is a question. You know, what is our goal in treating illness? And that's maybe a little philosophical, but it certainly has a lot to do with COVID. Our, what is our goal in treating illness? Do we think that we can f always and in every circumstance stave off death? The way you answer that question as a physician really gets at the heart of what you believe about this world and also how you've been approaching COVID. I would argue that a good physician recognizes that that's never the goal. That I often joke with my friends at church that when I get to heaven, I'll be out of a job uh, because <laughs> there will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more sickness. Yeah. Uh, and I will have trained for something that is completely obsolete. On the opposite side, I spend my whole career and I don't mean to be glib about this, taking care of people that will die for whom I will never be able to fully fend off death. Why do I do what I do? Well, I think that there's still a significant blessing in first off being good stewards of our bodies. Second, in bringing and alleviating suffering. That's where most of medicine started was this, how can we be good Samaritans and pull the guy out of the ditch and tend to wounds and help bring healing? How can we uh, help our neighbor who is, who is sick and ill? by first off providing alleviation of suffering and, and, and dignity, even in the setting of what are often very hard circumstances. We have changed that. And in medicine, it has led us to do very bizarre things where we go all the way from uh, putting someone on life support who is at the very end of life, and then at other times um, giving medicine to help 
a young person end their life because it's so unbearable. We have become very schizophrenic as we have lost our mooring as to what is it we do and why. It seems like we've kind of circled it a few times, but this is essentially one big, whether it's the reaction or even the fundamental questions you've asked of like, why do we do medicine? Who do we believe we are? Can we stave off death? Mankind just continually railing against its own finitude. Mm -hmm. And I think one thing you said earlier in relation to the amount of deaths in our particular community is is even just, we are entirely anemic on gratitude Mm -hmm. for anything. You know, whether it's about that or just gratitude for that finitude of, I only know so much, you know, mm-hmm. and sickness is a part of the world and not a lot I can do about it. And for me to rail against that and try to get beyond my finitude to fix things just ends up in these weird mandates or, or you know, a, a fake love of neighbor or anything else. Well, I, I think it's where I would wrap us up today. I, I think that COVID is just like any other health threat in that it, it brings an opportunity for us to say, what are we made of and what are we basing our life on? What is our purpose? Where does it get meaning? What is it that at the end of the day, we've, we've built up as a foundation for our life, uh, for what we do and where we go. There's nothing like a medical illness to shake that foundation. And I see it so often, you know, and it's been one of the joys and one of the, one of the, the fantastic things in medicine is to be there when people's foundations are shaken. And then to be able to talk to them about what matters and what, where do you find hope? I've seen um, this word used more often in the last week than I have in all of the last 12 months. And it's the word hope. And it's usually, I hope this vaccine gets us through this pandemic. I, I finally have hope that we're almost at the end of having to hide in our homes. But I think that this vaccine is just one more step in really revealing what is it that we base our lives on? You know, as Christians, we know, we know that this is not the way the world's supposed to be. And I think that people generally have that feeling of like, well, as Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, God has put eternity on our hearts. And he, he despairs of that. Uh, like that's, he has the sense that he's supposed to live forever and yet he's finite and his body is failing and he's aging as you read later in Ecclesiastes. We're surrounded by people who are despairing and are looking for anything to hope on. Here we are as believers knowing this isn't the way that life is meant to be. We have bodies broken and they're broken because our, because our father Adam and our, our mother Eve rebelled. They sinned. They left a perfect world in which their bodies never failed and they rebelled and they went their own way and we are suffering now bodies that, that age, that die, that face disease, that will never leave this world without making that, that journey uh, through the common experience of death. Boy, if that was where it ended though, how hard that would be, that be. Here we are perfectly smack in the middle of Christmas, Christmas <laughs> of, of uh, a God who uh, knew our circumstance and broke through and sent his son to live perfectly in a human body with all of the ailments, even to go through that experience of death for us so that even in physical death, we wouldn't experience that permanent spiritual separation from God. We are a people of true hope, and that hope is, is uh, remarkable. What a time for us to, again, be neighbors in the truest of sense. Neighbors in not only serving, but neighbors in holding out the, the one and true hope um, as we celebrate Christmas together. Well, sir, thank you so much. Merry Christmas. Uh, Merry Christmas thank to you. Thank you so much for, for 2020. 
coming in and uh, helping us just decipher the times. Yeah. Peace on earth. Goodwill towards men. Cheers. Cheers.